Welcome to Elliot Lake 108, Episode 4, Rust, Responsibility, and Repercussions. In this episode, I look back at the presentation of the Elliot Lake Inquiry Report. The report was presented to a packed audience on October 15, 2014, at the former Lester B. Pearson Civic Centre in Elliot Lake, Ontario. It would be only 12 days later that the residents of Elliott Lake would cast their ballots in the 2014 municipal election. The Algo Mall in Elliott Lake was built back in 1979. One year later, tenants moved into the mall, which showed evidence of leaking shortly after they took up residence. For 19 years, the mall continued to leak. In 1999, the mall was sold by Algoma Central Properties to Elliott Lake Retirement Living. For six additional years, the mall continued to leak. In 2005, Elliott Lake Retirement Living sold the mall to Robert Nazarian of Eastwood Mall, Inc. for half the price than it cost Algoma Central Properties to build. For seven additional years, the mall continued to leak until that horrific day. I can't hear you. Fire Department. We, the, the roof just collapsed at the Algo Center Mall. The Algo Center Mall roof just collapsed? Yes, sir. On Saturday, June 23, 2012, at 2.18 in the afternoon, a section of the rooftop parking lot at the Algo Center Mall came crashing down two stories, taking the lives of two Elliott Lake women. Many more people were victim to physical injuries and emotional trauma. Seconds after a roof buckled and the dust settled, it was clear. Elliott Lake's only mall was in ruins. It happened right in the middle of the day at about 2 o'clock at a busy shopping centre. We heard the panic, so we crashed down. We seen everyone rushing out. I heard a big boom and just call 911, evacuate the mall, get everyone out. In the thick of it all, Jean-Marc Hayward. He was sitting in the food court below when the roof caved in. It was very scary. It felt like an earthquake. Very loud, deafening. Hayward says several people were hit by flying debris. He says one man, an elderly gentleman, was struck in the face by a piece of asphalt. I could hear people say, uh, there's no way out, there's no way out, because there was a big cloud of dust and debris. More than an hour later, the city's mayor declared a local state of emergency. As you're probably aware, our units have been in there all day doing what they can to secure the site. We're going to need additional help. I've declared a state of emergency for the purposes of bringing in an urban extraction unit. Some in the community not so surprised, however. People like Hayward have had concerns about the state of the parking lot for several years, worried about the rusted beams that were becoming more visible from wear and tear. I used to think to myself, one of these days, the car was going to go through the, the roof. Safety concerns prevented crews from getting inside the structure because of a lingering threat of a gas leak and the building collapsing. Jeff Harrington, CTV News, Sudbury. Many in Elliott Lake renamed the Algo Center Mall 
the Algal Falls, and they had the smarts to know what happened was inevitable. No one, however, knew what was about to follow. A stunning decision in Elliott Lake tonight with the very real possibility that people, perhaps dozens, are still alive in a collapsed mall. The search to rescue them has been abandoned. Too dangerous, say officials. It is a grim scene. A massive section of roof 12 meters by 24 meters crumbled on Saturday afternoon. It served as the mall's parking lot. At least one car is in the debris. It all dropped two floors through the mall's food court and onto the kiosks below. They determined that this structure should or would or could fall at any time without notice. After hours of trying to stabilize the structure to make it safe enough to get close enough, officials say they had to make the difficult decision. Nobody's happy that we have to, we have to stop work, um, but, but that's unfortunate, unfortunately the way that we've had, to, we've had to end this situation. Rescue workers have not released any names. Imaging equipment had already detected the limbs of one person presumed dead. The other, the one who may still be alive, is a woman who many believe was working part-time at a lottery kiosk, 37-year-old Lucy Aylwin. Her fiancé, Gary Gendron, says he knows in his heart it was her who made the tapping sound. We always do this knocking sound and always knock, knock twice, and I know it's her. Gendron says he's been holding on to the belief that Aylwin was holding on. Now, he says, she's being left to die. I want her out of there, and they're giving up. They can't fucking give up. Sorry about my language, but they can't give up. Her father, Rajel, when calls it a travesty. My daughter's there, and we know at least four peoples, and there may be more. You just can't give up and leave them there. Something's got to be done. Within hours of rescue attempts being ceased, Premier Dalton McGuinty and the rescue teams devised a Plan B that involved the assistance of specialized heavy machinery to make another attempt at getting to the victims. It was called off. What the heck is happening here? Uh, how can this be possible? Uh, why they stopped the search? Um, I think we're going to need to find a way to do something about this. Layperson's plan B was if we can't get at them from the inside, then maybe we can try to get at them from the outside. If that required heavy equipment that we bring in from elsewhere, we'll do that. If it required that I bring in, get hold of the Prime Minister and bring in uh, Canadian Armed Forces, whatever it took. You. It wouldn't be until Wednesday, June 27th, that 74-year-old Dolores Perizzolo and 37-year-old Lucy Alwyn would be recovered from the rubble of the tragic collapse. Their families, their loved ones, their friends, devastated. An entire town gripped in shock and mourning. So much shock, so much pain, so many tears, and so much heartache. The heavy machinery pulled out. Ontario Street for days and nights was lined with people, satellite trucks, cameras, and reporters, but now it was eerily quiet with few. Candle wax ran like tears down the stone wall where mourners had gathered for days in prayer, hope, and togetherness. Everyone was hurting. What the hell had just happened and why? Premier Dalton McGuinty arrived in Elliott Lake the afternoon of Wednesday, June 27, 2012. 
Today, as you've heard, we've recovered the bodies of Dolores and Lucy. And we all know we were going to do everything we could to return them to their families where they belong. We owe that to the families. We owe that to all the people of Elliott Lake. And something else we all owe each other. We need to carefully review how we responded to this tragedy. My undertaking to you and to all Ontarians is that we will learn any lessons there are to be found here. Ontarians are committed to having in place at all times a world-class emergency response system. My friends, the days ahead of us will be a time for grieving, for collecting ourselves, and for rebuilding. I want you to know that our cabinet met earlier today. We are of one mind, as are the people of Ontario. We want to help your community get back on its feet. So in the days to come, we will work with you. I will spend some time with the mayor tomorrow so we can better assess how we can work together in a way that reflects the true pride and spirit of all the people of Elliott Lake. Premier Dalton McGuinty would call for a public inquiry in respect to the Algo Mall in Elliott Lake. Under the Public Inquiries Act 2009, the Government of Ontario established the Elliott Lake Inquiry on July 19, 2012. The mandate of the inquiry was to inquire and report on the events surrounding the June 23rd collapse, the deaths of Lucy and Dolores, the injuries of other individuals, the emergency management of the event, and the rescue recovery operations. On July 20th, 2012, Paul Belanger was appointed commissioner of the Elliott Lake Public Inquiry. In August of 2012, the commissioner would make his first visit to Elliott Lake to hold public and private meetings. So ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Um, I'll be repeating my comments uh, in French at the conclusion of, uh, of my English uh, remarks. Um, je vais répéter mes commentaires en français lorsque j'aurai fini ceux que je vais faire en anglais ce matin. Uh, my name is uh, Paul Belanger, and I've been uh, appointed by the government of the province of Ontario as commissioner for the Commission of Inquiry into the collapse of the Algo Centre Mall. And uh, I want to begin this morning by expressing my condolences and that of my colleagues here uh, at the table to those of you who've lost loved ones, cherished friends or neighbors on the 23rd of June last. Uh, indeed, this tragedy shook all Ontarians and, and all Canadians. Uh, we're concerned about those of you who were injured, as well as those who've been impacted by this collapse, whether it be financial, uh, emotionally, or socially. And it's that tragedy, of course, that brings us here today. Our immediate concern today and tomorrow is not how or why this tragedy occurred. That will come later uh, as our investigation progresses and as we hold public hearings. And I, I really want to emphasize that fact, uh, that this fact-finding part of the inquiry will occur later when we start collecting, collecting documents, when we begin interviewing witnesses, 
And when we embark upon the public hearings, which we uh, hope will uh, occur early in uh, 2013. Uh, and, and so that is not the purpose of our meeting this morning. What we want to do is introduce ourselves to the community and to hear from you about the consequences, about the impact of these events upon you. Those of you who uh, want to speak publicly about, the, uh, about their experience can come up to the microphones here on either side of the room and talk to us. And in addition, those of you who wish to talk to us privately, who don't wish to express themselves in public, will have an opportunity to do so this afternoon and tomorrow. Some of you may have questions uh, today and we'll try to answer them. Uh, we're taking this opportunity to get to know you, as I've said, to get to know Elliot Lake, uh, to tour the site of the collapse, and to speak to responsible groups uh, and individuals, such as members of your Chamber of Commerce and your elected politicians, and the lawyers who are with me indeed spent the day yesterday uh, speaking with some of your representatives. Now, let me explain to you what a Commission of Inquiry is and what it is not. A public inquiry investigates and reports on matters of substantial public interest to a community. A public inquiry is not a trial. I'm a criminal court judge. I've do, been doing trials for 34 years. This is not a trial. No one is charged in this inquiry with any criminal offense and no one is being sued in the commission process. As commissioner, I have no right to find anyone guilty of a criminal offense, nor can I establish civil uh, responsibility for damages. Inquiries tend to be broader than either criminal or civil trials, and as a rule, while they investigate past events, they also tend to be concerned with providing an explanation of what happened so as to assist in preventing similar events in the future. We can't change the past, but perhaps with your assistance and your collaboration, we can make sure that this type of tragedy doesn't occur again. But I want to emphasize that there are no legal consequences from the commissioner's findings. This distinction can really be frustrating for members of the public who want to see perceived wrongdoers penalized Punishment and penalty may well follow the work that we will be doing here, but it is not part of the inquiry itself. A public inquiry also needs to be public and available to the public, and I'm committed to having open and public hearings. This is why we're here today and why our public hearings will be held here in Elliott Lake. For the convenience of some parties, Certain parts of the hearing, such as applications for standing and funding, these occur before the actual public hearings. They may have to be off-site or they perhaps can be done uh, through modern technology at a distance. We'll be making efforts, however, to have all proceedings broadcast live. And uh, we're exploring means to, uh, uh, as I say, have those, those hearings broadcast so that even if you can't attend in person as you have this morning, you could watch it on television. 
And at the hearings, we'll be setting up a media room so that interested journalists can accurately report on what has gone on. One of our counsel uh, has been designated as our media spokesperson to give timely explanations to the media about the commission and to make materials accessible uh, as soon as possible uh, to them. We've already uh, set up a website. Uh, website. Some of you may have uh, accessed it. It's uh, at www.elliotlakeinquiry.ca, uh, all in one word. And we'll be making efforts to ensure that it is always up to date so that everybody can follow. And I invite as many of you as possible to attend our hearings when they commence in the new year or to follow us on television. But our intent is that you always be informed and up to date on what it is that we're doing. I also want to emphasize this morning that these initial meetings that we're going to have with you this afternoon, this morning, and tomorrow will not constitute evidence at the inquiry. And for the sake of transparency and fairness, the private meetings will be audio recorded in an anonymous way so that speakers are not identified. They'll be confidential and they won't be released to anyone unless it is on direct order from me and only if it is shown to be in the public interest. And in addition, if you prefer that there be no recording, we won't record. It's as simple as that. And I repeat and emphasize that the purpose of this informal meeting this morning is to allow us to appreciate what you're living and what you've lived through. Let me introduce to you those who are here this morning. Commission Council play a vital and critical role in any public inquiry. They are the legal arm of the inquiry and essentially I'm their client and I'm their only client. Their main responsibility, the responsibility I've given them, is to represent the public interest at the inquiry. They don't represent a particular point of view, as they might if we were in court litigating uh, a criminal or a civil case. They are not prosecutors. Their role is not adversarial, nor do they take one side or the other. They have a duty to make sure that all issues bearing on the public interest are brought to my attention. And their job is to use their skills and experience to present all of the available relevant evidence in as fair and thorough fashion as possible. Uh, to my uh, immediate left here is Mr. Peter Doody, a highly experienced litigator in public, administrative, and commercial law. On my immediate right is Mark Wallace, who is uh, has been a criminal lawyer for uh, uh, many, many years, a criminal law specialist and uh, a, a recognized uh, expert in his field. And then uh, Nadia Effendi, uh, uh, to my further right, is fluently bilingual. She is a gold medal graduate of the University of Ottawa and a specialist in civil and public litigation. And finally, uh, uh, Mr. Bruce Carr Harris, uh, on my far right, who will be the uh, spokesperson for the commission this morning and will uh, respond to your questions. He's a recognized expert in 
construction litigation, among other specialties. He's also a highly decorated member of the Law Society of Upper Canada. I don't know where Peter Rehack uh, is at the moment. Uh, he's just standing up over there. He's our media consultant, and he, he, you will have met him uh, before uh, meeting any of us. Uh, he's already spent time here in Elliott Lake in the last few weeks setting things up. Peter has acted as media consultant for virtually all commissions of inquiry in Ontario uh, over the past dozen years, and we're grateful to have a man with his wealth of journalistic experience and wisdom as part of our team. You'll find uh, all of our biographies, those of you who are interested, on uh, the website. Uh, let me conclude by saying that public commissions of inquiry are an important component of a mature and democratic society such as ours. They play a key role in fact-finding, informing the public, and making recommendations to ensure that the matter that is the subject matter of the inquiry does not occur again. They may also play a role in restoring public confidence in government institutions. Above all, if they are to be effective and receive cooperation, commissions must be perceived as being com completely fair uh, to everybody. That will be one of this commission's overriding objectives. In addition, of course, we want to be thorough. We want to be efficient, accessible, and because we're spending government money, your money, we want to be cost effective. So you're going to be seeing a lot of us over the next year. Our investigators uh, will, are, are, some of them are already here. You may not have, have seen them, but they're unobtrusive. But uh, there will be more uh, coming in so that we can uh, begin obtaining information, the information we need to identify persons we need to speak to. And all I can really ask uh, from all of you, ladies and gentlemen, is your cooperation, uh, your patience, your understanding, and your assistance. But all three of my council have at least three separate experiences with commissions of inquiry in the past. And so they know uh, and have developed an expertise in that process. On Sunday, August 12, 2012, I sent an email to the Elliott Lake Inquiry Commission to request a meeting with the commissioner. I will read you a portion of that correspondence. My name is Suzanne, and I am a 54-year-old mother and grandmother who resides in Elliott Lake. My daughter was working in the mall at the time of the collapse. She was blessed to make it out without being physically harmed and has provided the OPP detectives with a statement of her account that day. I personally have been dealing with the aftermath of the collapse. I suffer from guilt, for not speaking up sooner about the mall and the building conditions that I personally have witnessed over the years. And my guilt for supporting my daughter to work in such conditions haunts me daily. Outbursts of tears are common now at any time. To pass by the mall is incredibly difficult and it only eases when I can speak to someone else and comfort their pain. I raised my children as I was raised to respect my superiors and those in positions of authority, which is the only explanation I can live with at this time that justifies why I didn't do something to raise awareness to help prevent this devastating event. 
I received a response from the Assistant Commission Counsel, Nadia Effendi, before 7 a.m. the next morning, with an appointment set with the Commissioner on Wednesday, August 15th at 3.30 in the afternoon. During the meeting, I relayed to the Commissioner my sightings of the buckets that resided at the lottery kiosk by the food court. There would be a bucket for garbage, one for Nevada tickets, and one to collect water leaks from the ceiling above. I talked about the visible rust on the exterior of the mall, the entry and exit doors that were difficult to reef open or shut closed, the escalators that were far too often out of service, and the endless black tar lines that covered the rooftop parking lot. I was happy with my decision to meet with the commissioner. The meeting was conducted respectfully and with compassion. The commissioner was one of the few people that I had revealed my feelings of guilt for not saying something about the condition of the mall. I will be forever grateful for that time. The Elliott Lake Inquiry hearings ran over a seven-month span that began on March 4, 2013, and completed its portion of the public hearings on October the 9th of that year. The public hearings were host to over 110 witnesses, with some appearing over several days. The inquiry focused on two key issues. Part one, which examined the events from the mall's conception to the day of the tragic collapse. And part two, with respect to emergency management, response to the collapse, and rescue efforts. Submissions were made by all participants and their legal counsel. A set of two policy roundtables were held in Ottawa during November and December of 2013 to discuss with various levels of government and the private sector stakeholders the systematic issues that arose with evidence during the inquiry testimonies. The day of the release of the report was Wednesday, October 15, 2014, at 11 o'clock. Introduced by the Special Advisor to the Commission, Stephen Bidman, were members from the Commission Justice Paul Belanger, Nadia Fendi, Peter Duty, and Mark Wallace, who took stage in front of a packed auditorium at the Lester B. Pearson Civic Center on Highway 108 in Elliott Lake. The entire report topped over 1,400 pages and consisted of over 71 recommendations of proposed changes to many entities for consideration going forward and in prevention of such a senseless event happening again in Ontario. The evidence is incontrovertible that the collapse of the section of the roof of the Algo Mall was caused by severe rusting of the connection between one column and one beam. But although it was rust that defeated the structure of the Algo Mall, the real story behind the collapse is one of human, not material, failure. Many of those whose calling or occupation touched the mall displayed failings. Its designers and its builders, its owners, some architects and engineers, as well as the municipal and provincial officials charged with the duty of protecting the public. Some of these failings were minor, some were not. They ranged from apathy, neglect, and indifference 
through mediocrity, ineptitude, and incompetence, all the way to outright greed, obfuscation, and duplicity. Occasional voices of alarm and warning. Blue by deaf and callous ears. Warning signs went unseen by eyes likely averted for fear of jeopardizing the mall's existence, the social and economic center of Elliott Lake. Some engineers forgot the moral and ethical foundation of their vocation and their profession, which is holding paramount the health, the safety, and the welfare of the public. They occasionally pandered more to their clients' sensitivities than to their professional obligation to expose the logical and scientific consequences of their observations. Some of their inspections were so cursory and incomplete as to be essentially meaningless. Others were fundamentally flawed because they were based on false assumptions or calculations. <clears throat> Some public officials simply lacked competence. Others preferred strict adherence to and narrow interpretation of practices, rules, and bylaws rather than conduct based on a meaningful interpretation of their spirit and their intent. The institutional and legal relationship between organizations meant to advance the public good operated, in our view, to disenfranchise the city's electorate and may have led to tolerating unacceptable conditions at the mall. Secrecy and confidentiality often trumped candor, transparency, and openness. It pervaded contractual and professional relationships, and even the municipal administration sought to cloak some of its activities from public view. Owners chose cheap and ineffective repairs or opted to sell them all when faced with significant repair bills. They actively concealed their knowledge of the parking deck's condition from the city and from subsequent purchasers. The last owner, Eastwood Mall Incorporated, actively misrepresented the repair work it engaged in and resorted to subterfuge and falsehood to mislead authorities, tenants, and the public. And it is very difficult, ladies and gentlemen, to resist the conclusion that if any one of the owners, engineers, or officials who were involved in the mall over its 33 years of existence had insisted and said, enough's enough, this building will fall and will fail if it isn't fixed, two lives would not have been senselessly and tragically lost. Some did. Some cried out, but they were ignored. When the report presentation concluded, the son-in-law of Dolores Perizzolo, Darren Latulep, took a moment to speak with reporters. Basically went from, as he said, millions of documents to from the smallest detail to the biggest detail. And he went through thoroughly, his commission council, everybody. And we were grateful for that. Like It's exposed now for everybody to see what we've been living with for 30 years. And now there's no hiding it anymore. Like they say, the carpet's been rolled up and thrown in the garbage. There's nowhere to hide our biggest fear was that the things would get as normal politics around here is, they'd get swept under the carpet and they'd forget about us. The municipal election in Elliott Lake followed less than two weeks after the inquiry report was released, and by all accounts, 
It was a contentious one. 24 candidates on the ballot for a counselor position and four candidates for the mayoral position, including the incumbent, Rick Hamilton. Mayor Hamilton was defeated by Dan Marchesella of Elliott Lake with a difference of 1,214 votes. Only one counselor running in the 2014 election from the previous council was able to hold his seat. A vast majority of people in Elliott Lake used their voices and spoke loud and clear for change. This concludes this special episode of Elliott Lake 108, Rust, Responsibility, and Repercussions. Please feel free to contact me on the website, elliottlake108.com, or send me a message on the Elliott Lake 108 Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and never forget that your voice matters, and take it easy on yourself. <laughs>